Well, church family, we have come to the end of this beautiful and challenging and timely series called Traits, Becoming the Family That We Are. I've so appreciated getting to be a part of this series and participate weekly with the Family Ministries Moment, as well as in this pulpit. Pastors Greg and Annie and Jeff and myself have tried to speak theologically and mindfully about the traits of God's family as well as the traits of the global family that we call Lake Avenue Church. If you've missed any one of these sermons, I would highly recommend them to you. Go back, listen to any week that you've, you've missed. They've been an encouragement and a challenge to me, and I know they've been an encouragement and a challenge to many of us. Becoming the family that is new, that is one that loves, that, that cherishes, that takes action, that's being renewed over and over again, that's intentional, that, that listens. And today, like Perry talked about, we are going to talk about what it means to be committed We'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippian church, chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Would you stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word to us? Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me pray for us as we begin. Spirit of the living God, you have brought us to this place. Whether it be our bedrooms or our living rooms. God, you've brought us to this place with you. God, that we might hear from you. So God, we are so grateful to, that you would bring these words that Paul has written down on this page, God, in front of us. And so right now, Lord, I invite you to bring these words off of the page and alive in our experience like never before. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. A pig and a hen sharing the same barnyard heard about the church's program to feed the hungry. The pig and the hen discussed how they could be of help. The hen said, I've got it. I know exactly what we can do. We can provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the hungry. The pig thought about the suggestion and said, uh, there's only one thing wrong with your bacon and eggs idea. For you, it will only require involvement, but for me, it means total commitment. 
I figured that since we've been talking about swine for the last two weeks, I would just keep the theme going. I actually think it's a, a really important illustration for us. And when I say us, I mean people who consider themselves followers of Jesus. The question it raises should make us search deeply about whether or not we are just involved with God and the community that God's created or whether or not we're committed to God and the community that God is creating. We can find ourselves in the pages of wisdom stories like that and even more importantly in the midst of scripture. Previously in Philippians 3, Paul makes an incredible statement about profit and loss, things that he's gained and things that he chooses to lose. Verse 7, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He goes on. This is how Paul considers everything. All of his blessings, his heritage, his traditions, his accomplishments, his privilege, all loss for the sake of knowing Christ. He's inviting the Philippian church to do the same. He's inviting Lake Avenue Church to do the same. Paul makes clear this statement as, we, as a way to recenter Lake Avenue Church, as a way to recenter the Philippian church on what is important. Knowing Christ is paramount in Paul's theology and pursuit. This is the man who states, to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's no misunderstanding that Paul has committed his life to following Jesus regardless of what's in front of him or what it costs him. Remember, Paul, as he's writing this letter, is incarcerated. And he doesn't know whether or not he's going to get out. Paul wants to be like Christ. Have a righteousness that can only come from faith in Jesus. Any other clean living or legal upstanding or the fact that Paul has become a good person does not matter to Paul and it should not matter to us. But what Paul is trying to tell us is in our passage. He says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or been made perfect. I want you to remember that word perfect. It's going to come back to us. Paul doesn't see himself as one who's been perfected, even though he has been persecuted. And Paul is clearly making a distinction that even though he has made this commitment to Jesus and excoriated his prior life, he hasn't arrived yet. His next statement makes that abundantly clear. I press on. Paul says, I press on, from jail. Paul says, I press on without knowing whether or not there's another day to press on to. I press on. Earlier this year, before COVID, I ran a marathon. It was a Super Bowl Sunday. I had an opportunity just to go and run. I trained a bunch. It was my second 
ever. And I thought, man, this time I'm going to actually get it because I understand what's going on. I understand how to, how to fuel myself a little bit better. I understand how long it's going to take and how much effort it's going to take, effort it's going to take. And so that morning I got up, I ate the right breakfast, I started driving down, and things just seemed a little off. I had to stop and use the restroom. I had to continue to go down. And I, by the time I reached the, the start line, I was one of the last groups to finish. I had barely made it to the start. And I thought, you know what? I got this. Calm down. You, you can do this. And so I just started running. I wanted to catch up to my pace group, which is just a, a couple of minutes ahead of me. And I thought, you know, if I just, if I slowly ease into it, maybe I'll catch them by mile, you know, 10-ish. I'd caught them by mile seven. And I was feeling good, feeling great. At mile eight, I had to stop. Things weren't feeling so great again. I, 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 I started running again, and I thought, you know what? I can make it. I can do this. I'm going to continue to press into this. I'm going to continue to press on. And as I caught that pace group again at mile 12, I had to stop. I could have quit there, but I didn't. I finished the marathon, but way out of the time that I thought I was going to, and way slower than my first time. It was a little bit of a disappointing day, but I finished. The question that I have for us today is what, what are the things in your life that you continue to press into that you don't quit? It's interesting to me because as many times as I've taught this passage and talk about me going on a run or doing something that was kind of hurting and then kept going, which is actually the technical example that Paul uses here, I think Paul continues to go so much deeper than just that, that running analogy that, hey, something was hurting and I kept going analogy. He's asking the question, what are you pursuing with, with reckless abandon? The definition here is one that would move rapidly and decisively toward an object. The other definition of that term is harassment. Paul has already used harassment or persecution of himself in verse 6 when he calls himself a persecutor of the church. Here in verse 12, he changes the context and speaks of himself in earnest pursuit of the mind and presence of Christ. What are you pressing into? Paul is not just involved in the work of the gospel. Paul is committed to Jesus and the gospel. What are we committed to? And are we committed or are we just involved? Paul goes on to expand what he's talking about. He continues this athletic analogy and states that as a runner who forgets everything that's going on around them and is sing singularly focused on one goal, this is how we're to press in. Paul is talking about forgetting about all the issues that he referenced earlier in chapter 3. 
that he now considers rubbish, the traits that have made him arrogant and bullish, privileged, legally faultless, but morally bankrupt. Paul is saying, don't look back at those things that you think you have attained by your hard work, your ego, your inheritance, or power, and allow them to keep you from taking a hold of the mind and presence of Jesus. They are not important in this moment. Paul is clearly renewed and committed to being so. It's interesting. I've done a a few bits of marriage counseling over my time as a pastor. And in the last few years, a lot of... um, a lot of couples come to me and say, hey, we want to write our own vows. And I tell them, I said, that's fine, but I get to edit them. Because what I've found recently is people are so excited about making these interesting statements about one another. I love it so much how you love the Dodgers like me. I love it so much how you care for me. I love it so much how when we're together, like there's no one else in the world. But that's not what a vow is. A vow is a significant commitment of what you are going to do for someone else regardless of what someone else is going to do for you. Statements of what I like versus the promises of who I will become for you. Which brings me to the point of what I think Paul is speaking about And to what we have to take on as a trait of this unexpected family called the church. Paul begins to bring his thoughts to a close and does something that we need to hear as well. In verse 15, he says, all of us who are mature. Remember when I said, remember the word perfect. Well, here it is again. Mature is actually the word perfect. Same same word. All of us who are perfect should take view of such things. Same word as before, yet Paul has already said that he's not perfect. So what's going on here? Paul is not talking about perfection or maturity as the goal. He doesn't speak like that to the Philippian church. His appeal is that we should take on the mind of Christ, which is how he began his appeal in the Philippian church in chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Our responsibility then is to be so committed to the person of Jesus and to the mindset of Christ that we develop a perseverance that is unshakable. That means learning and growing until we're called heavenward in Christ Jesus. It requires humility and perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance continual pressing in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you run a marathon? One step at a time. How does your marriage become great one day at a time? How do you become mature in Christ? You take on the mind of Jesus and persevere one moment at a time. So how is that done? Well, for Paul in verse 16, that is a statement to live up to what you've already attained. To live up to what we've already attained. 
to live up to what we've already attained, if you and I would only live up to what we've already learned about Jesus, about who Jesus is and, and how Jesus operates in this world, we would have changed the world already. We've been called to do two things by Jesus. Love God, love others. It's not new. We've been called to, to ask to do a bunch of things just in this traits series that I think if we went and did, we're functional in every day, thinking about the people around us, making sure that they are first and that we commit to them and not just are worried about what they are going to do for us. We would have changed the world already. Love God, love others. How are we committed to Jesus? I think I've got three things. Three things that if we do, if we live out every day, we'll be continually changing the world around us and in us. Jesus was committed to and obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our commitment to Jesus should represent the same obedience. So what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love Jesus? First, participate in praise, worship, gratefulness, and the fear of God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It comes out of Deuteronomy 6, Matthew 22, Mark 12. This command is not an individual one, but a communal one. We must do this together. Two, educate yourself and experience the person and work of Jesus. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus is God's proof of love, and when we live out the words of Jesus, we continue to become that reflection of God's love in the world. When we educate ourselves on who Jesus is and we experience the person and work of Jesus in the world, we reflect that what God wants to reflect in the world. Number three, Cultivate an awareness of and response to the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have to become attentive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Both conviction and comfort are significant interactions that we should have with the Spirit. I know the first one doesn't make you feel comfortable, but that's the Spirit's job to comfort you. We also have to be committed to each other, and I think there are three ways that we can do that. What does it mean for us to love each other? One, cultivating a community that shares one another's joys, growth, and needs. This really is the trait of renewal. You and I have to be renewed every day so that we are continually being changed into who Jesus is calling us to be. It's who Jesus is calling us to become. That may mean celebrating. 
That may mean hearing a rebuke. That may mean listening in a way that creates community and not division. That may mean closing your mouth for a second just to hear what's going on. Two, respect and encourage the gifts of the Spirit in every believer. Uh, This requires humility. A a humility for us to, to be attentive to what God's Spirit is doing in and around us, the way that the Spirit is leading us. We have to be attentive to the Spirit of the living God. And it requires a knowledge of Scripture and a knowledge of our culture in order to understand that. I would also add that it requires us to learn about others and how they engage the world and how they engage the Spirit. Three, participate in serving and sacrificing to meet each other's needs. Disciples and non-disciples need more than a verbal endorsement about Jesus' love and justice from church leadership. They need followers of Christ to demonstrate visible support in the form of changes to policies and procedures, even in their own churches, dedication of resources, and active participation in the communities where we all live. Followers of Christ need to pay particular attention to the needs of the oppressed, the marginalized, children, refugees, and those who are different from us. Jesus promised a cross, not a couch. Jesus promised us that we would have trouble along the journey, but that he would be with us. Our journey is still ahead of us. And it's going to be difficult. Whether you're eight or whether you're 80, God continues to work on us and work in us so that we might change. As we become the family we are supposed to be, we have to embody family traits. I'm reminded of a poem I learned in college. Starts like this. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh when care is pressing you down a bit, Rest if you must, but don't you quit. Don't quit. You can't quit. You can't stop. You can't hold on. You can't say, hey, wait up a second. Not to Jesus, nor to the community that Jesus has called you to. That's the hard part, isn't it? That because Jesus has called us to a community that our brothers and sisters, though they may think differently than us, are still our brothers and sisters. Family is family. Whether given or chosen, family is family. 
Jesus didn't quit on you. He still believes in us to be the church. So let us not grow weary of becoming the family that is new. Let us not grow weary of becoming the family that loves. Let us not grow weary of the family that cherishes. Let us not grow weary of becoming the family that takes action or that is being renewed or that is intentional or that listens or that is committed to God or committed to each other. Amen and amen. Church family, we've got to be family together. We've got to continue to walk into this world together. Sociologist John McMurray says, I need you to be myself. It's a statement that I have loved for a long time since I read it, this idea that that in order to be myself, I need others around me to continue to reflect to me the person of Jesus so that I might see that, so that I might become that, so that I might understand who that is. I need you to become myself. In these moments, we need each other more than we ever have, especially right now. So receive this benediction, these good words. May the God of grace and mercy and justice cause you to know Jesus, cause you to experience Jesus so that you might walk out into this world and cause Jesus to reflect through you. Amen and amen. Have a great week.